Hi, is this the compost.com podcast? I wanted to talk to that cute, but he's kind of creepy guy, Ezra. Uh, yeah, that would be me, and it's good to be king. We got David Hooper and the six-figure musician coming up. like it's been so long since i've done a podcast and i've been away from compose also so you know when i'm away from compose it's i kind of lose track of time and an hour is a day and a day is an hour and two weeks is like uh one week and six days and three hours and but you know you get the point i kind of lose track of time and i'm going through through some personal things right now and i'm going through a lot of transition in my own life so I am just glad to have an opportunity to do another podcast and that Composes is uh, allowing me to keep talking and keep interviewing these very cool guests. And we got a very cool one today. His name is David Hooper and he wrote the book Six Figure Musician. And this is a book that I actually kind of changed the way I live as a musician. I read this book, I don't know, maybe 15 months ago, maybe, uh, maybe not even that long, but I started doing what I found in this book, and today we're going to talk to him, and it's so much to talk about that we hardly got through the first couple of chapters today, and I'm hoping I'm going to get him back on here because it's such an interesting conversation, but I'm going to jump into it because it uh, ran, ran a little bit longer than what I usually do, so I'm going to save it a little time and not talk too much in the beginning here, but let's do a quick tip of the day, and actually we'll do something, uh, a way to make some money, since that's what we're talking about. Uh- you give me advice <laughs> okay so i used to work as a video producer that's what i used to do and i won't say that i, I still do it a little bit i don't enjoy it much but i'll tell you this i have to use music and sound effects all the time like every day 
And I know that video producers, I know what they do all day long. They have music databases and uh, stock music uh, websites that they go to each day because in a day they have to create a piece that has so much music in it. So there is different ways for them to acquire that music. Now, if they're using it for broadcast television and stuff, then that person is going to get a royalty and there's different ways of buying that music. One way to do that is through sites like iStockPhoto.com, which you can submit to. And I'll put a few of these in the notes, but you really need to kind of look and do your own research. Don't go to the ones that make big promises of anything or that you have to pay to be in. These are stock audio websites and the reputable ones you can submit if it's good it'll end up in there if it's not so what they want then it won't and you should not give up on submitting though listen to what is hot Uh, most of these there is a rating system so you can see what people are buying and see if you can create something now if you're trying to do music for a living or make some money at it why not get on compose and work with some different people to create some things that are popular for instance at audiojungle.com I noticed that uh, ukulele songs were selling really well. So why not get on Compose, find somebody that plays bass and ukulele, you write music, sit together and write a stock song just to sell on Audio Jungle. So that's my tip of the day. I'll put a few of these reputable sites in the notes. And that's the king ass tip of the day. Wow, you're smart. Can I have your autograph? Uh, yeah, sure. Stick around, man show but right now we got to talk to david hooper we got this six-figure musician we're going to talk about now if you have any questions make sure you hit us up at podcast at compose.com k-o-m-p-o-z.com you can also send your questions to at compose music on twitter if you have an audio question you want on the show then put it on compose put it and maybe compose maybe we'll throw up a project where you can throw a uh, an audio question on there that we'll put on the show and we'll answer it i'd love to answer it if i can't answer it i will find the right guest to answer your questions because that's what this is about is providing value for all of us working together to collaborate and make music so let's get on david's on the line if you can't tell i had too much coffee i'm a little excited but just remember this all the music on the show is from Compose.com, and the credits are at the end of the show or in the notes. They're somewhere very close by. She cuts all alone just to quiet the demons that try bending her mind till it breaks. She's wearing long sleeves in the middle of summer, so no Okay, we are sitting here with David Hooper, and he's the author of The Six-Figure Musician. Actually, it's just Six-Figure Musician, How to Make 100000 or More with Your Music. And I'm so excited to have David here today because he's this book has been just a, a huge influence on my own life and my own music career. And uh, it was such an exciting uh, event when he said, yes, he'd come on the show. So I'm excited. If I get a little too excited and talk too fast then uh, you can slow it down inside of Logic or Pro Tools and understand what I'm saying. David, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Glad to be here, Ezra. Well, I'm so glad to have you, and I want to jump into the meat of this book and kind of what I've learned, but let's start off by just getting an idea who you are, uh, why you wrote this book, and kind of what you were doing before 
you know, that influenced you uh, in this this direction? How far do you want to go back? Well, let's. I know that you did publishing. I wanted to ask you about that. You you had a, a publishing company, music publishing company. I did. I, I did that for a while. My music career actually started as a musician. I grew up in Nashville. Okay. Did my first session when I was about five or six years old because that's what we do here. <laughs> and it was one of those things where I grew up. I went to a school that was about two blocks away from Music Row what we call Music Row, where all the publishers, all the record labels are. Mm-hmm. Drove down Music Row every day for about 10 years. And that's what we do here. I knew that it was possible. And because I'd grown up around music, that's what I thought I was going to do as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I got into promotion, to make a long story short, it's when I got out into the real world. It's easy to be good in your high school or good around town maybe. But I got into the real world. I went to music school for college and I was like, wow, these guys are really good. It kind of upped the ante a little bit. I wasn't that good, but what I was good about was getting people to my shows and making money with music. And people started asking me, hey, how are you doing this? Hmm. You know, you're not that good. So I like that (laughs) better and that was my talent. So here I am. So, so you found that, that you just through that, that, that your music, uh, endeavors, you found that you just had a talent for the other side and you accepted that. A lot of people can't accept that. So well, I also accept- liked it a yeah. lot better because what I really liked about music, I really love the creative process. I like writing. I mean, I'm in Nashville, right? That's what we do yeah. here. I like being in the studio. Also what we do here and I'd grown up, up around that. And we had a recording studio, a full on studio in my high school. That's what it's like to grow up here. So I really like that aspect of it. But when it came to playing gigs and doing things on the road and doing the things that I I knew I would need to do, Mm -hmm. you know, waiting in line, loading stuff in, hanging around cigarette smoke, loud noise. I was like, "Eh," (laughs) you know, I I think I'd rather just create. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where things ended up. Well, I was the one creating the cigarette smoke, I think. So <laughs> I've, done, I've, I've quit, yeah. but you know, I don't. you know, uh, and so you went from this and you started, um, in promotion and was that kind of like booking tours and helping people promote their shows? Uh, was it a, something that extended outside of Nashville or was it? it yeah, kind of I've done local? all of that. Okay. I was, I was doing all, all of that. I was uh, not really booking tours. I booked a couple tours. That was probably the hardest thing that I've yeah. ever done in the music business, but got to where I was doing what I would call like regional promotion, like the Southeast. And it was everything from climbing telephone poles to, you know, pa- passing out cassette tapes or, or promo material or CDs and uh, really street promotion, what wow. I would call street promotion, a lot of flyering back in those days. So that that was uh, that was part of it. But part of it was radio. When I was in college, I was taking a music business class. And one of my teachers, he said, you know, the real music money is publishing. It's owning the copyright. And if you'll remember what I said a minute ago, driving down Music Row with all the publishing companies and record labels, I didn't really understand publishing companies, Mm -hmm. but I understood the concept of owning the song. So I started writing. I started buying up publishing when I was still in college. And that's what kind of led me to promotion as well, because I was doing radio promotion of, of some of the stuff that I owned. 
we were we were license, licensing their music okay. and and that's how it all started because at the time it was really really like like you couldn't buy a CD burner CD burners hadn't been invented you could right. what they call replicate a CD but you had to do at least a thousand of them and I looked at it like hey I've got 60 minutes on the CD that I can put on right. you know put music on or 74 I think actually and I could put a couple of my good songs or what we could do is more or less sell the other space. And, and that's kind of how I got into the promotion business. You know, it's funny because I think, and this is like, I've grown up just not myself, you know, really intensely in our, our music scene here, but with a lot of people, you know, just watching all the bands I came from teenager all the way to 40 years old. And a lot of people as they, a lot of musicians, as they get, closer you know mid 30s and 40s they start to realize oh wow i am really good like i have a friend that book tours i have producers music producers that that's what they do now i'm really good at this you know I, not only have i spent all this time learning the music but in the process i've picked up all of this really valuable uh information and ha and ways of doing things you know mm -hmm. and that yeah i think it's one yeah. of the great things about being in a band and, and uh hope that we'll continue to have music education in schools because not only do you get to learn how to play the music and get along with people, but being in a band, it's very entrepreneurial in yeah. nature. You've yeah. got to get the gig. You've got to make a product. You've got to get people to your gig. You've got to get people to want to buy the product. So there are a lot of lessons and it's always surprising to me to be at like a marketing event and find how many of the top guys there are actually guitar players right. <laughs> or, or music, you know, they've got a music business background. Yeah, exactly. And, and it just leads. And that's not, that's happened with me where I've kind of gone into the background. I still do a lot of my own music, but started making money through kind of the inspiration of this book, allowing myself to make money through all of the expertise that I've gained over the years in this way. And, uh, and that kind of brings us to the book, you know, this is kind of when I when I read this, I've read a lot of music books in my day and pretty much if one comes out, I usually grab it. I don't know how I ended up with this one. I think somebody gave it to me or gave me the link to the free book and uh, I downloaded it. But, you know, this one just kind of blew me away because it was um, I don't know. It, it I still don't know exactly what separates it so much, but it's just really powerful. I can tell you what separates it. What is it? it? What is it? Or I can at least make a guess. It's because I grew up in Nashville around the music business culture. I grew up as a musician, been there, done that. Mm -hmm. And I've got 20 years of in the trenches experiences that have allowed me to really connect with musicians because I, I know who they are. It's not theory. It's tried and true information. It's what works. And I think a lot of the other books out there, and some of them are great, don't get me wrong, yeah. but I don't think they have that kind of, I mean, they're either too technical mm -hmm. and you're talking about copyright law and you're talking about performance royalties and mechanical royalties. And it sounds like a, a banker talking Yeah. or they're, they're too maybe like airy fairy. They're coming from a creative standpoint. And I think that's great. As I mentioned, being in Nashville, we certainly appreciate the song. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to doing what I said about being an entrepreneur and putting together the band and booking the gig and getting people to go there, putting together the product and getting people to purchase the product, very few people have, have done that at that level. Right. So I, I think it's it's just 
it's like I'm one of you. Right. And, you know, and that's what I got from it. You know, this we, I, my son, he's almost 16 and I I've been wanting to watch Fight Club with him because that's my favorite movie. And we watched it the other day and he's like, yeah, that's cool. But I, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, that's that movie like changed the whole world, <laughs> you know, like the Matrix or something. But I realized, you know, things come out in their time and they they have a very they make sense to that. Those people of that time. And, and this book right here is this is the time for this book. And that's what I got was that everything aligned in it with what you're talking about, having a really deep understanding of the music life from the inside. And you're not, you didn't stop when you were 20, you know, two, and then just go into writing books about it. You've, you've lived this life. You're a part of it. And it's just a very authentic book. And I did a, a, a Amazon review and I, and I hope it didn't sound bad, bad, but I said that the, you know, the, the, uh, Six figure is a little bit deceptive to me because what I walked away with, although that's what it's about with was just a inspiration to really focus on who I am as a musician and to go for it, you know, and why not? Well, when you do that, the money follows and the money follows. And a funny story about the title, the original title was going to be million dollar musician Mm -hmm. because I like the alliteration. So, you know, a million dollar musician that has a nice ring to it. But I, I, didn't, th- I didn't think anybody would believe me. Right. Like, yeah, you know, that sounds too overboard. <laughs> but six figures, that's kind of the benchmark for what a lot of people think of as a lot of money. Right. You know, it's just $100,000. Anybody can do a couple grand a week, right? It's not completely impossible. So, you know, that's, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want to distract that it does have, you know, very, uh, uh, detailed ways in which to market your, your, uh, your merch and to, to monetize your fans and stuff. But overall, it, to me, it just has that inspiration where I'm proud to be who I am as a musician. And I wanted to kind of jump in to, I think as I reread the book uh, for this, I've read it. I can't tell you how many times I've read it and passed it around to other people. But I, I reread it and I kind of got stuck on the first three chapters and we'll probably just to keep this show kind of focused, kind of stick around the the uh, the commitment and uh, the different paths, um, you know, blazing your your picking your path like impact and stuff like that. And then if anybody what you will want to get this book, it's free. Is that right? Well, there is a free version of it. Yeah. Sure. You can go to musicianbook.com and download a PDF. Okay. You, but, you mentioned Amazon. It's also available there. So if you want a paperback, if you want an audio book, if you want the hardbound edition, there are different versions there. But yeah, I, I'm more interested in, you know, the music business has been so good to me. And mm. it it's so important to me that good music get out there. And there's so much noise in the world. I'm more interested in spreading the message than I, than I am making a couple bucks off of a book. Right. And I'd rather you have the information. Plus it's a worldwide market. This is going everywhere. And it's tough for me to get a book over to some countries because of bad mail system. You know, 10 bucks is a lot of money to some people. But with that said, yeah, if you want to buy the book, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> well, I tell you like the, 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 uh, penny pension musician that I am, I got the free one and thought, Oh, I'll just read this. Then I wanted the audio book so I could listen to it on the way to work. So I got the audio book, but then I wanted to make notes. So I bought the hard, back and finally i bought the kindle version because i like my kindle see you're you're what i call a super fan i, well, I, am a super I need fan. more people like you yeah <laughs> well 
Well, I, you know, I, I'm a super fan for um, because it's worked in my life, and and I put it to practice, and I am now like from just in one year, uh, somebody that went from a, a kind of a miserable job and somebody i've had a you know years in my life where i made a living as a musician but i had to give it up with family and the two cars and everything and giving it up forever this book i walked away i threw plan uh, b away and i'm within one year i'm making more money uh from music than i made as a graphic designer is is which what i had done you know for the last 15 years so yeah. I'm a super fan because it works. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. It well, and, and that's what I wanted to show that it's possible. I think being from Nashville, you see that it's possible, but a lot of places you don't. And you're really lucky being in Dallas mm-hmm. that you see that things are possible. It's just a big city, but there are people out in the middle of nowhere where they've never been exposed to somebody who makes a living through their ideas or through their creations. Yeah. But that's absolutely possible. And I wanted to show that. You know, and it all starts with the chapter uh, on commitment, you know, making a commitment to do it. And a commitment, you know, is more than, uh, you know, what I got from your, your writing in that chapter, you know, commitments more than, um, kind of thinking about it. It's not wishful thinking. It's actually hard. It's like an action, you know, like my commitment was to actually throw away some of the jobs that I had and put myself in a, dangerous situation. So I had, and you talk about that in the book so that I had to figure out how to make the money, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, that kind of the commitment and that chapter and, and what you, you found in your career of how do you make a commitment and what does a commitment really mean that a commitment that works, you know? Well, when I talk about the commitment and this isn't just for musicians, this is for anybody. This is for people in a relationship. Yeah. This is for anything that you want to do. It was for me when I wrote the book, it's making the decision to do something and not having anything stop you. I've got a friend of mine who said it really, really well, and I'm not sure if this is in the book or not, but his name is Des Dickerson and Des played with Prince for a number of years. And if you've ever seen the 1999 video, he's the guy with the Japanese headband in uh, 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's how he is known. <laughs> he was <laughs> he was Prince's guitar player and musical director when Prince was with the band called The Revolution. And he said it really, really well. He said, I want to be on an interstate with no exit ramps because yeah. when you have plan B, you use plan B. And I thought that was a great analogy because if you're on an interstate with no exit ramps, you've more or less burned your bridges. You've probably heard it yeah. said is, is that you don't have a choice. You have no choice but to progress forward. And all too often, musicians have heard this growing up their whole lives. Well, don't you want to go get your teaching certificate? Don't you want to get a college degree? You want something mm-hmm. to fall back on? Yeah. I think that's great. But I've got examples in the book, and I don't remember if it's in that chapter or not, about all the people that failed and then went on to do really, really great things. Mm -hmm. Like if you have uh, Einstein, you know, teachers said, well, this guy's not very intelligent, but look at what Einstein has done. And 
Thomas yeah. Edison with uh, the light bulb 10,000 times to do a light bulb. Honda, and I, I, I will butcher this guy's first name, so I'm not even going to try to say it, but Mr. Honda, the man <laughs> who founded Honda, was turned down at an engineering job by Toyota. He was yeah. applying for a Toyota. So sometimes it, it takes those failures to push you in the right direction. But think about if those guys had given up and they ha- had had a plan B. Yeah. It, it, it would have never happened. And as a musician, you run into so much, I, I, I'm going to call it resistance mm-hmm. or flack or whatever. People don't show up for a gig. Nobody cares. And I've just seen it happen too many times where one day nobody cares and then something takes off and then a month later, you've got 10,000 people in the audience. So it's completely possible, but you have to know that what you're doing is good and you have to make the commitment to it. And I think you have to realize that if you've got something to say that you're really doing the world a disservice by not getting it out there, it's not all about you. We talk about that a lot in the book Mm -hmm. about how you make this for the audience and it's, it's an us versus, or not us versus them thing, but it's a, uh, it, it, well, one of the reasons dance music is popular, I'll, I'll talk about how, and we've seen this recently here with the electronic dance music coming back, but we saw it in disco in the 70s and rave culture in the 90s, is that when you have a dance music show, yeah, there's a DJ up there, but people are dancing, they're participating in the show, and all too often you have musicians that think it's just about them. And it's not just about you when you're on stage. And it's not just about you when you're releasing your product to the world, you're actually providing a real big service to the world. So I, yeah. I think sometimes when you think about that, you can go against that resistance and it makes it easier for you not to have that plan B because there will be some some tough times. But to back, back to the original question, yeah, you've got to make the commitment. And I think it's those little bitty things every day that gets you closer to that goal that is going to help you to keep that up. You know, and and that's what you were just saying. It just sparked something very interesting, an interesting thought about um, something after after reading this where I came to. Now, I spent I started in music like seriously when I was 16 and started and I hadn't stopped since really of playing every weekend and putting out albums and stuff like that. But there was always this us and them mentality. Those are the fans. And I would get mad at them like if. I put out a, a single and nobody bought it or nobody commented on it or nobody came to the show. And after reading this, it's it's such a strange thing that to me and, and from what I was thinking in all those years is that they are a part of it. They are a part of the creation of my music. When I write the people that are contributing and listening to it are as, you know, there's this, uh, <clears throat> you have to forgive me, talk about education Something that Plato wrote, it was a, a little book, it's called Pio or Mio or something like that. It's some little uh, uh, philosophy of like a poem. But in it, it talks about the performer and these three rings that bind the the performer and the muse and, and then the audience. But it's like a, you know, if you ever see these magic rings where they all click together mm-hmm. and they're all three playing in, in the show. You know, somebody has to consume and understand and somebody has to perform it. And then there's the muse, this greater thing that is that is fueling the whole process. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to jump off and all that, but, you know, no, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's like the old saying, if, if a tree falls in the forest 
and no one's there to hear right. it doesn't make a sound. Yeah. And it, it, and it really is a, a give and receive process. So you have to let the fans in in order to have a successful record. We've all seen, seen people that release something and nobody hears it. it. It might as well not exist. And that's right. sad because people put a lot of, lot of effort into it. So you have to open up the people to receive it. Yeah. And you know, and something you also talk about in the book is, and I can't remember all the term terms you use, but it's, you know, you're like your niche fans, like singing for, and I want to get into it, where you talk about impact and ease, you know, the different ways about going about building your fan base, because uh, there is a way where it is very general and you, maybe you have a easier chance of, of making a big uh, plop in the pond or impact and really impacting a certain community, uh, you know, a certain kind of person, you know, and I want to talk a little bit, we can start with that because that's, that goes into the you, chapter on. You want to talk about path. impact versus ease? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. And kind okay. of, if you can give us a roundabout of what that idea is of impact and ease. Well, I think about impact and ease as a great example of this is the band Queen. Queen, when you see Freddie Mercury, there is, and this is a great example too of a guy who just gets the audience involved. If you've never seen Queen at Live Aid, when he's in the stadium with 80,000 people, oh, yes. they're hanging on his every word, and they're part of the show too. Yeah. So that's getting the, the fans involved. But I want you to think about what Queen did whenever they went out on stage. And you could bring... There are other great acts that that uh, Michael Jackson is another great great one. Yeah, I, either one of those acts would come out and they would do what they do, and they would give their all. There was nothing left on the stage. I mean, it was like <laughs> there was no, nothing left inside Freddie Mercury. Maybe right. that's the better way. He left everything on the stage. That's what I'm trying to say. And he would give out the you know who he was. It was exactly who he was as a person. And I want you to think about this. Could Freddie Mercury and Queen have gotten out there and done cover songs and mm -hmm. have done a lot of the other things that you see a traditional band that's starting up do just to get gigs? Because the club owner will tell you, well, we need some something people know. We right. need you to do some covers. We need, and, and that's really impact versus ease. It's easier to get a quick gig if you're going to do covers, it's easier to get an audience quickly if you're going to do covers because people already know those things and there's some momentum there that works in your favor. Yeah. However, if you think about the big gigs like the live aids and the big arena shows and the selling millions of records, people aren't going to that. You're just a commodity commodity at that point. It's like right. pork bellies and, and oil. And it's the same thing they can get anywhere. But when you're going to give what you have, and leave everything on the stage, give them everything, that's when you're making an impact. And you're the only one who can do that. So I, I like to compare it to like Queen versus a cover band. And a cover band can't do Queen like Queen can. And Queen isn't going to be able to do any other's material either. So you have to bring what it is that nobody else can bring to the show to have true impact. You know, and then there's some specific oh, niche stuff we can give. But beyond just getting into like niche marketing... That's really what it's about. It, it would be very tough. I, I know uh, I've got a buddy of mine. He was in a, a band called Babe Ruth. 
you might not have ever heard of Babe Ruth. You probably heard their music sampled. Chemical Brothers, R. Kelly, oh, yeah, yeah. a lot of, a lot of, it's kind of a, uh, math rock kind of thing, but he talks about Queen opening up for him in England. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So he'd a lot of guys open, open up for him, but you look at how big, how big Queen went to get, and it's because they were, it was a slow growth mm-hmm. and they went out there and they won fans one at a time by doing what it is that they did. And that was impact, but it started very, very slowly. It's, it's like they won them to them, to the, who they were and not to rock music or not to, uh, I have yeah, because like, what was Queen? It's operatic. It's, it's op- kind of, it was you know, just it, itself. it's like Broadway. You know, there was nothing else. Yeah. 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 And, and even if you're not a fan, those, those two guys, Michael Jackson and Freddie Mercury, even if you're not a fan, you couldn't help but get involved in yeah. that show. When you watch these live performances, you're like, wow, it's so good. Even somebody who doesn't like that type of music, you can't deny it. Like, I'm not a fan of The Grateful Dead. Right. But I remember I was in Memphis one time and Grateful Dead were coming through to play an arena down there called the Pyramid, probably, you know, 20,000 people or something like that. And I remember driving through, I I, as a matter of fact, I'm not only not a fan of the Grateful Dead, I really can't stand them. I think the music <laughs> is boring. I, I can't stand it. But when I was driving through on my way somewhere else by the arena, all these people were out there. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be part of this. Right. They brought what it is that they do to Memphis and it's infectious when you're doing what it is that you're meant to do. Nobody can, nobody can do that better. Yeah. And you know, I have a very good example of this impact and ease in my, that lives in an apartment behind my house. He rents from me, but, and also my own career. I said that I make, you know, more as a, in my music and that's not exactly true. I make more in my creative endeavors that involve music, but he actually, this, there's a guy that lives in an apartment that I gave him an apartment, a cheap apartment, because he is a musician that has been doing it for 10 years. Just he's doing this, making a, a living at it. And he faces the pressure of the covers for one thing is a, a constant pressure. Cause he's like, well, I can make a, and we talk about, we sit there every night and talk about his shows coming up. I can go make this much at a cover gig, or I can go do this one this show of my music and maybe walk away with, you know, 20 new fans. And so it's always a dilemma though, that in, in a music career you have to fight with, and it goes beyond just the, the live shows. It's in the studio when he's recording an album, he can do something that would be very broad appeal, sound like a lot of bands going on right now, or he can continue to do his thing and have a harder, a little bit, or I don't even have to say harder road cause it's going to be a different road than uh, this broader appeal that he could do that might plop out and get a lot of attention at one at once, but kind of fizzle out quickly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's basically following the money yeah. when you go that route. And I've never seen anybody win at that for a very long time. You can maybe have a hit, maybe have a little bit of a career, but eventually you're going to start to resent that. Right. And I, I think that when you, I mean, a good, artist takes chances. They take chances. Do you remember, and I want to say it was called Saint Anger, the Metallica record? Yeah. <laughs> that. So so there's this big, <laughs> big argument when they came out with that record. We don't like the snare drum. <laughs> we, the snare sound sucks. That was the big argument. Yeah. But a, a good, you know, you listen to that thing now, you're like, eh, you know, it's not so bad. 
you know, they paved the way, but at the time it was so, I guess, revolutionary that you're thinking, oh, this, it doesn't sound like what we've heard before. Well, it shouldn't sound like what you've heard before because we're artists and we make a statement and it, it's something different. It actually really is. It's like, there should be a different word for people that go and do Lady Gaga music or Britney Spears music or Metallica music instead of being well, I guess there is. There's artists and then there's performers, you know? And uh, that's, Well, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. And I, I think about, and I can talk about them because I'm here in Nashville, but you think a lot of the country music oh, that's coming out now, they don't write their own stuff. Mm-hmm. They've got professional writers, which are amazing and give them really great material. But country music is boring. Yeah. When you think about these guys compared to like a Merle Haggard or... Chris Christopherson or Willie Nelson or Dolly Parton. And those guys were out there really living it and they were making statements and it was real and people felt it. Exactly. I mean, people have a great BS detector and it's like you, you really like the book six figure musician. And it's because, like I said, it's because I'm that guy. I am in the music business and I have been for a long time and I know the music business. You could sniff it out if it was just some kind of ghost written book that I just hired. Right. You could sniff it out if it was somebody who didn't know what he was talking about and didn't, because there's, there's the little things, you know, as musicians, if we were to get together and, and jam or just play together, there's certain ways that we, talk to each other. Are you a guitar player? I am. Yeah. So if, so if I say, all right, this one has a drop D, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. And you can't, there are other fa- words. you can't really fake that, you know, no, you for, can't for fake very it. long. You, yeah. you, you can smell that. Oh, they, they really don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you need to twist this thing up here, twist this little peg right up in here right. uh, <laughs> down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there's, there's ways that musicians talk to each other and there's ways that audience audiences connect to each other. And, and that's that way for any group. If you go to a certain church, right. you're going to hear people talk a certain way. If you go to a yoga studio, they've got their own language. If you go to wherever you go, right, they've got their own language. And, and, and that's really, that's another thing. It, it all really connects. It's a big, big, mushy pile, but that's another way for you to connect to the audience. And I, I like how in the book, you're not bashing like the country artists. Like I just sat and had breakfast and had to listen to country music. And I don't remember anything I heard. I must have heard 10 songs, except <laughs> I remember this this old Dolly Parton song came on, and I completely remember that one. Yeah. Because yeah. the other ones all sounded like the same song just going on for an hour, you know? But Well, and, and that's really funny you say that, because yeah. a lot of the country music, it has the same studio musicians, mm-hmm. same producers. It's done in the same studio on the same board. If it's not done in the same studio, it's auto-tuned. It, it's... It's designed for perfection. But once somebody gets a country hit, they bring in the same writers, same guitar players, same producers, same A&R guy, and it's formulaic. And there's a reason for that, but it really takes somebody to break that mold when you want to break out. When you like want to impact. Taylor Swift, for example, she can't sing. She can't sing. <laughs> and she can't dance. And she's quirky. But look at how she connects with her fans. There's right. nobody better. Well, you know, and that's what I like in the book. You're not like bashing anybody that wants to go that route of the country, you no. know, the, the top, because that's just the ease. That's the different way of thinking about your career. Do you want that? And you, you kind of push the reader to make that decision. What do you want? You got to know, are you going for impact? Or are you going for ease? Do you want 
And that's not a, really a bad or good decision. It's really what do you want, you know? Well, yeah, pe- and people need that. People want something that is safe. Right. It's a very scary world, and it's like having a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a cold glass of milk. It's comfort food. Right. So you're providing something really, really valuable to the world. But if you're a true artist, it's really more to let the true artist know that it's okay for you to do that because that's scary too. When you put yourself out there, yeah. you get all sorts of judgment. And there are people that we talk about St. Anger and Metallica. People hate Metallica. Yeah. At the same time, if Metallica was to go on tour right now, there are people that really love them, even with all the haters out there. Yeah, like radio ha- haters, Radiohead haters. and Oh, yeah. You know, but yeah. to have that impact, yeah, almost. And, and somebody else, I think it was, I can't remember who said this, but, you know, you if, if you're not hated, then you're not going to be really loved, you know, to have go that impact route, you know. Yeah, and if you're not hated, another way to think about that, too, is you're not reaching enough people. Yeah. I think a lot of people play it safe just for that. You know, I when I came out with the book, you're like, oh, I hope I don't get bad reviews. I hope I don't get <laughs> bad reviews. And and there's some, uh, some reviews are more uh, nice to me than, than others. And they like the book better. But if there wasn't somebody who just didn't think the book is a piece of garbage, I'm not selling enough of them. I'm not yeah, preaching yeah. to the choir here. I'm going out trying to kind of ruffle some feathers and make you think. And I think that's what good art does. And I think yeah. that's what good musicians do because of that. Yeah. Cause it's a big world. People have, lots of opinions and i think you know artists i I not only you know work with younger artists but i also work with artists that have dealt with like bipolar and stuff like that and anxiety issues Mm -hmm. and artists are sensitive people and i think it it you know if you don't accept that this is part of the game that people have different opinions and if somebody hates your book you know well okay well you know some people hate chocolate ice cream don't get you know, it's not personally, you're not hitting enough people to find uh, someone. I, I guess it's possible that somebody could be so bad that everybody hates <laughs> their music. <laughs> and I'm sure that's happened. But yeah. even in, I know people that have found their niche. I know one girl, and I'm not going to say who she is because that would be embarrassing. It's horrible music. But she does it in such a niche, such a small niche that she makes a pretty good living at it just going around doing this music that pleases this community so it's almost like if you will get out there and you talk a lot about that is is you know getting it out enough to to create these thousand fans because to get a thousand fans you know you really need to touch ten thousand people you know or whatever or or two thousand three thousand whatever it's going to be a percentage of how many you end up touching you know yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to something you said about artists and not everybody liking you. I think that any artist should really kind of flip this and think about how that helps the music. I think a yeah. lot of times artists get involved into drugs or alcohol or things that dull them because this is such a a raw thing to put your material out there and to be open to criticism. But when you think about it, the true, let's go back to Freddie Mercury a little bit. When, when he's singing these songs, it's like, man, that guy's feeling every single note. 
feeling every single one. And that's a lot of pain that's coming out there. And that's what people can relate to because people are in pain and you are a catalyst for helping them through that pain. So I I think that keeping that tension kind of ramped up is what makes great art. That's why I believe a lot, you talked about bipolar. I think a lot of artists have those kind of um, tendencies, symptoms or tendencies. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I think there's something about the tension. If you think about, for example, Van Halen, two brothers in there, always fighting, got a singer, Right. No matter who it is, they're fighting. <laughs> and, and that sometimes makes really, really good music. Yeah. I, I think that when everybody's getting along, that's boring. That's like boy band kind of right, stuff. Right. It, it, it's, it's not yeah. going to be memorable. You know, and no. I think at the bottom of all the musicians and the artists I know, they want, they do this to make an impact. You know, they want to make money. And the ones that, what we talked about earlier, that are performers they don't really have that drive, you know, but the artists, you know, that I think when I read that book, because I'm an impact artist and, and, and in fact, I've, I have like sabotaged my career two or three times where I could have done very well, but I did it for the art uh, and for my vision and people thought I was insane, you know, because I could have gone off and been signed to the majors and all that kind of stuff. But over time, you know, uh, the art, you'll end up resenting what you've done. And you talk a little bit, you know, you, you accept who you are and accept this journey of you. And I forget where you put in the book, but that people, that's what will excite people is, is you, you know, and and well, they're watching you. Yeah. And what's funny is they're living through you. And what's funny is that's what you want to give. And that's what's satisfying as an artist is to be able to give your, you, and really that's what people want. Maybe they don't know it. And it takes a little work for them to get there. Kind of like you talking about pouring out real honest emotions and stuff is hard, but you know, you get to a point, a breaking point where you've reached enough of people that understand what you're saying you know, and the ones that have rejected it. And uh, I'm kind of going off now because we are, we're about to run out of time and there's just so much I want to talk to you about. Well, let let me leave, leave you with a a final thought and we can follow up on that. I I talk about there are different types of musicians and and let's talk about the kind of music I was studying when I was in college. I was Mm -hmm. studying classical guitar and I don't know if you've ever done that, but you get out there and you've got the the snob stool and you've got to grow your nails out and you wear like a tux or something like that. And you sit there, perfect posture, and you play something that somebody else wrote and you play it note for note and you're trying not to make a mistake. It's infuriating to a very skilled musician like that, a good, good performer who can perform somebody else's music to see somebody that's not as perfect. Maybe the Taylor Swift who sings off key or mm-hmm. Katy Perry when she has a smoke right before she goes on stage, <laughs> not taking care of a voice or anything. But those are the people that connect. The people that make the most money are the ones that connect. Now here's a flip side of that. Forget the money for a second. One of the most depressing jobs with the least satisfaction is a musician who plays an orchestra. Now, why is that? Well, they got to play somebody else's stuff. And not only that, but they play it like the conductor Mm. wants them to play it. You have absolutely no say 
you can't leave out notes. You can't improvise. You can't put a little run in here. No you expression. No expression at all. You're just a machine. They might as well just play, mm. press play. You're a jukebox. And I, I think when it comes to long-term satisfaction as a musician, you want to get out there and do something completely different. Sometimes you might have to play the same song. If you've got a big hit, that'd be great. 40 years of one song. Great. Seeing a lot of people do it, but yeah. that's where the interaction to kind of tie this whole thing together, interaction with the crowd comes in because they're part of the audience as well. And with each audience, that means you've got a different expression of the song each time because the audience is changing. Getting into that part of the book where you really just hone in on why people buy music yeah, You know, what is the psychological reason they buy music? Why do they consume your music and your merchandise? And it is, it's, uh, it's not a lot of the times for the reasons that musicians think, you know, it's something of, they are getting something from it. And, you know, that, uh, like you're talking about them being a part of it, uh, is, is becoming more of more of an option. And we can't get into this right now of them being more and more a part of your music life, you know, and feeling a part of this expression and expressing it at a show or online with, with your, you know, your latest album and being commenting on it live and everything. And so it's just an exciting time. And this book is the perfect book for this exciting time. And to kind of start us all off on a really good path moving forward. And I want you to tell us where we can get, uh, this book in the different formats. And I also wanted to point out on the show that one of your uh, readers actually did a, was it like a form with kind of the goals and working through this book? If you could yeah, tell us she's about a that. DJ out in Los Angeles that really liked the book. And if, if you go to amazon.com, you'll uh -huh. see a video review. She wouldn't mind me saying this about her by a hot Asian chick. How <laughs> dare <laughs> Okay. She would she wouldn't mind me saying that about her, and really, really a, a, a great artist who's been around for a while and, and really liked the book, but had also worked in business as well and put together a form. And that it's it's linked from. Well, here's the best way to get that. If you go to musicianbook.com, you can get the PDF of the book free. It's, it's the full on book. It's all seventy something thousand words, almost three hundred pages, and I will send you a link to that worksheet oh, that good. she did. Okay. Now, if, if you're interested, if, if you're like me or you want the audio version, I, I love that kind of stuff I when did. I'm yeah. when I'm working out or in the car. I've got a hardback. I've got a paperback. Amazon.com has all those things. You can just search for Six Figure Musician. But either way, musicianbook.com or amazon.com and search for Six Figure Musician. I'm glad to, to help you out by giving you the information. And hopefully you'll find it inspiring and one of those things that, you know, I don't take music for granted. I remember what it was like when I really wanted to play well before I could. Yeah. And I try to stay in that mindset whenever I'm thinking like, this is a real gift. There are a lot of people that had to give up on music when they were little and now they're wishing they hadn't. Right. So I think what we're, we're doing is really amazing stuff. And even if it goes nowhere, I think this will help you just to bring out your best expression of that. Well, it's already gone somewhere in my life. And I thank you so much for being on the show. I enjoyed talking to you. It was as, fun. As much as I thought I would. So, and, Good. Uh, well, thank you, sir. Well, thank you, David. And I will put all the uh, links in the show notes. And I uh, hope to talk to you again someday. Yeah, anytime. Let me know. Okay. Thank you, David. 
Well, I really enjoyed that. And I hope you did too. If you have any questions about this, send it to uh, podcast at composed, K-O-M-P-O-Z.com. There we go. And uh, I'll answer them on the show if I can, or if not, somebody will answer them for you. Each week, I try to play a song that is actually on my iPod that I'm listening to. Most of the time, that's because I'm thinking of like jumping in and stealing all the thunder for this song, but not really. I really enjoy a lot of music I compose. I follow people and just kind of look around. And this is one called Sublime that I'm really enjoying right now. And this one has chilled strings on it, Pilot Project, and one of my favorite drummers on Compose, Fix Sounds. So enjoy this tune. The credits, sometimes I put them in the show, but right now they're going to be on the notes because this has been a long show. So I have to turn my air conditioner off when I'm recording. So I'm hot. I got to go. I got to go. See you next time. Tell me the small things.